new CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. How you survive, you make quick, smart decisions. If you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. It's Wednesday, July 27th, and you're listening to the College Football Daily. I'm Brendan Marcello. Nick Saban is the greatest of all time in college football. Try to argue that, I'll, I'll come at you. I think a lot of people would. And there's a new book coming out about his leadership, the secrets of his leadership success, from John Talty, who has covered the SEC for quite a while at the Birmingham News AL.com. We want to discuss things with him a little bit further about his book and also the revelation that Saban, back in 2013, early 2014, perhaps thought about stepping out of coaching. We really want to dive into that. John, thanks for joining us. John, let's just jump right into that. An incredible piece coming out in your book, which will be released August 9th, that Nick Saban was at least exploring the possibility of jumping into TV with ESPN after uh, the famed kick six game against Auburn, which Alabama lost in the last second on a missed field goal return for a touchdown against the rival Auburn Tigers in the Iron Bowl. Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's a great kind of what if scenario. Um, and I think that's, I think the word that I've used, I've come back to a few times is like, I feel like it was an inflection point for Saban in which he had the success at Alabama. He's won multiple national championships by that point, but it felt like something was a little off. And I remember there being a Wall Street Journal story in which uh, his wife, Terry Saban, talked about, you know, kind of the appreciation from fans. You had the Texas rumors bubbling about, and those have been well reported about, you know, Jimmy Sexton. And talking to some important te- Texas power boosters. And, you know, there's all kinds of different reporting about how close that ever happened, but that was around the same time. And so before the 2013 season even happened, this guy, Nick Khan, he's now the co-CEO of WWE, went down to Tuscaloosa to talk to Saban. And I think that's where some of the, the early groundwork was of just thinking about if there's a media opportunity, what that might look like. And so after kick six season ends, Saban talks to Nick Khan again and, and compels him to reach out to ESPN and see if he can set up a meeting. That meeting ultimately ends up happening out in California when Auburn is playing in the national championship game. I think, Brandon, you were probably there uh, for that game and has his meeting with Jimmy Sexton, his agent, and uh, John Wildhack, who's at the time I think was number two at ESPN. He's now the Syracuse AD. And they had this, you know, long conversation about, you know, if Nick were to leave and go down the media route, what that would look like. He particularly zeroed in on a college game day role. I think that's the thing that interested him the most. And one of the things that that John told me about that conversation was that Saban kept coming back to over and over again was the question he had was, how is this like a team? For him, he's like, I've been as part of a, been part of a team since I was nine years old. If I were to ever leave my current team, like it has to feel like a team to me. And so that's something that he kept asking questions about it. They said basically college game day is as close to being part of a team as possible without being a part of a team. Had a really good conversation. I think he thought a lot about it, but ultimately Nick Khan reached back out to ESPN and said, you know, coach really appreciated the conversation, really enjoyed it, um, has a lot of respect, but at this time he still wants to be a coach and you know, he comes back and you know, goes on to win uh, multiple more national championships. So it's hard to argue it wasn't the right move, but I do think it's just such an interesting moment in Saban's career where you think, 
door A might be going to Texas, door B was ESPN, and door C was stay at Alabama, and he chose door C. Yeah, that was definitely an interesting time, and I remember I, I, I was covering Auburn at the time, and I recall right about, I think right after that season, Nick Saban, along with Brett Biela and Bielema at Arkansas and some others, were really coming out against some of the, uh, the hurry-up-no-huddle aspect of offenses and how they thought it was, one, affecting maybe the health of players because of the detrimental aspect of being able to substitute players on defense and not being able to. Maybe that would hurt players and lead to more injuries. And so Nick Saban, I recall even say at the time, was this what we want college football to be? And it, it almost, I hear echoes in my head when I hear him talking about NIL and how it's not sustainable and is this what we want college football to be to, to what he was saying eight years ago about hurry up offenses and again he transitioned he stayed at Alabama he evolved started implementing some of the own hurry up no huddle offense stuff uh, with Lane Kiffin and others and as you said went on an incredible run that is still going there at Alabama and again it's just so interesting to, to hear more about these parallel universe where Nick Saban potentially could have left coaching and done so early to a point where I don't think we there would be anybody able to match what he's doing right now, whether it's at Alabama or any other program. And it's a testament to uh, his leadership and success as a coach, which, of course, I just mentioned two key words in the title of your book, John. When you were researching this book and doing your interviews, discussing things, what really started to become clear to you early in your conversations that maybe you didn't quite know about Nick Saban over the years you've covered him. Yeah, because I think part of it when you start out this as a journalist, you know, you kind of almost have, you try to take a step back, you try to be impartial, you know, and you look at it through that lens. And then you talk to all these different former coaches and former players, and you can tell they're still so bought into his ideas and his strategies that you start to view them a little bit differently. I mean, I think, I don't know if there's anything that necessarily completely shocked me about him, um, just having covered him for years, but you do, you get deeper, you get into it, the more complete picture of the person comes to light. I think that sometimes he is painted in a black and white way. And I think there's a lot of gray there, good and bad, that I think shows who he is. And that was really one of the important things that I wanted to do with this book is not just show you, you know, how he does things, which I think is an important part of it, but why he does things to get behind the motivation behind the things that he does. And I mean, some of the stories, I mean, there's in the book, there's some funny stories, there's some entertaining stories, there's some great anecdotes and things like that. But it's clear that this is a guy who is incredibly detailed, incredibly motivated, and you know, truly believes that this is his calling in life. And it's why I think sometimes we wonder, how does this guy do what he does? Like, well, this is the thing that gives him, this is what gives him energy. You know, this is what he derives energy from. That's why he's able to, at 70 years old and making $10 million a year, still be so passionate about doing what he does every single day, the way that other coaches have, have not been able to maintain over the years. How much are his Virginia roots still rooted in everything he does today? Because I've talked to him off to the side a couple of times, and most recently at SEC Media Days, and he still talks about, working in West Virginia as a kid and the lessons his father put onto him. And he still utilizes that as the backbone of a lot of crucial issues that he faces and, and decisions he makes to this day. Yeah, I mean, I think he comes back to his dad and the way that he raised him, you know, a lot, you know, and I think one of the things he comes back to, and which I know he says it to, you know, people on his team is, you know, if you don't 
like, you know, basically if you don't do it right, you have to find the time to eventually do it right. And so like, it's, you know, there's, that's why he's so detailed because he knew I and mean, he, he tells the story that he's told many times where, you know, having to wash cars, you know, and if there was any streak on the cars, his dad made him wash them over again. And so it's like, it's just better to be efficient so you don't have to do it again. And so I think he learned that at a very early age. His dad, I mean, and people have talked to people for the book about his dad. His dad was a very demanding guy, you know, I think even more demanding than Nick Saban, uh, as hard as that might be to believe, but he was the person who was always zeroed in on perfection, you know? And so I remember talking to somebody who said, Nick Saban, you know, good, good athlete in a lot of different sports, basketball, baseball, football, you know, he might be playing at a basketball game and have 30 points. And after the game, a win, by the way, his dad would say, what was up with those four turnovers? You know, he was always finding those things. And, you know, that might not be the greatest way to go about it, but it's certainly shaped Saban and always looking for ways to improve, always looking for those, you know, that maybe that one percentage different toward getting better than focusing on just, I scored 30 points. That was awesome. And you see that throughout his coaching career. I mean, it's all about, process is all about these little minimal gains to add up to a huge gain versus just focusing on, we won the game or we won a national championship, whatever it might be. To the point where, you know, I write about in the book, you know, after national championship games, wins, by the way, are probably when he's at his wildest because he immediately goes into, this is actually going to make my life more difficult and we need to start the work immediately. He's not, you know, popping champagne and going wild. He's thinking, all right, I'm actually behind in recruiting right now and I got to step it up. You know, his mind always goes that way, uh, flips very fast, which is why, you know, you haven't seen the big drop-offs for the most part, after big wins from Alabama, the way that you know, maybe other franchises or teams in other sports you know, have that kind of winner's hangover type effect. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. How, how has he changed over the years, you think, since, say, his days at LSU or even Michigan State to where he is now at Alabama and even in recent years with the Tide? Yeah, I talked to somebody who's known him for about 30 years, and the way he put it to me was that uh, he has softened, but he's not soft. And that's so I think Saban, you know, might have softened five to 10 percent, whatever it might be. It's probably actually a little bit more than that. But I mean, the guy still works his butt off. He's still pretty intense, more intense than a lot of other coaches. But I think there have been a couple factors. I think one, I think naturally, as we all get older, you know, sometimes you you ease up a little bit. Um, I think that the way that players are today, I think, necessitates a different style of coaching. It's not a major, major change, but the way that he coaches in 2022 
has to be a little bit different than how he coached in 1990 at Toledo. You know, I think he's had to realize he needs to show a little bit more personality that he knows that he has to show that he has their back in a way that might have been a little bit different uh, early on in his career. I think success, you know, can make you ease up a tiny, tiny bit. And then I think there were two... There are two moments, and I write about these in the book. I think one of them that's been well publicized and well written about is the tornadoes in 2011. And I think that certainly had an impact on Saban and the need to you know, be more in the community and, and show a little bit more of the human side of him. Uh, the other one is, and you probably, I mean, your, your Arkansas roots remember, Guy Alti Tenpenny, who was at Alabama, um, was part of that recruiting class of Alvin Kamara and Derrick Henry, a pretty good recruiting class. And, you know, he just wasn't able to get playing time. He got in trouble a little bit. Saban wanted him to sign a contract to be part of the team. Tenpenny ultimately decided to, to leave. He transferred to UNLV, uh, was there not that long, transferred to Nickel State, uh, and then ultimately got kicked off the team at Nickel State, was driving back to Arkansas one night and crashed, fell asleep at the wheel, crashed in Mississippi and passed away. And it was part of that 2015 season. And it really impacted Saban. I think he really felt like he had let this kid down, that he wasn't able to you know, save this kid, a kid who he believed in. And I think at that moment, from players that I talked to, they saw a shift in Saban's personality. He started joking around a little bit more. I think he just wanted to show them how much he loved and cared about them and realized he had to let his guard down a little bit for those players to understand that he actually really did care about them. What is the funniest thing you learned about Nick Saban. So I tweeted a Zaxby story the other day. That that one was uh, that was amusing. I think Saban is is a very funny guy. Um, I think it's, a, it's his sense of humor is a little drier. And, you know, I think it's some of the D's nuts jokes have been well publicized at this point. Um, I think those are pretty funny. One of the things that I feel like consistent that I would hear is he's really funny in film review. I mean, it's not funny if you're the recipient of some of what he's saying, but he'll point out stuff when they're doing film review that is very funny. I mean, it's very cutting, but it's funny. Um, and I think he just has these these little moments where he, he can be uh he can be pretty funny but he's i mean he's he's an interesting guy and uh i think the way that his coaches have kind of gotten you know every coach has a good story um but there's some pretty pretty funny interactions with saban over the years and just some of the the stuff that he will who will say to people because he's got those west virginia sensibilities so some of the stuff that he says is, is pretty funny so moving forward i mean nick saban you know, obviously just agreed to a new contract. And almost everybody's always asking, like, when's he going to retire? When's he going to step away? When's this going to happen? When the excerpt of your book leaked about the 2013 season when he was maybe thinking about getting out of football, I had people that were uh, coaching on that Auburn staff at the time going, oh, we were hearing things. And we felt like in 2014 that if we were able to beat them two years in a row, then maybe that would end up being the end of the of the Saban dynasty before it ever really got started. Of course, revisionist history is quite something. We see him now, he's rolling, and then you see these this uh, feud, so to speak, with Jimbo Fisher, one of his former pupils now at Texas A&M and making a hard charge to challenge Alabama and the SEC West. What does it for Nick Saban? Is there anything else he wants to achieve? What drives him and what will ultimately lead him to actually want to retire? It's such a great question. And I've thought about it so much because I think it's the number one question with him at this stage of his life. You know, he's 70 years old, he'll turn 71 on Halloween this year. We know he's not going to coach for another 20 years, but 
how long he goes, I think is such a great question. I've thought about it so much. I feel like I've psychoanalyzed this guy so much while writing this book. And I've thought about it so many different ways. And you can talk yourself into a bunch of different things, but it's hard to know what finally pushes him over. Because I think in some sense, for a lot of coaches, you could say, about to be 71 years old, you have by far the favorite to win the national championship. Bryce Young, Will Anderson, probably the top two players in the country are going to leave after this year. You win it all this year. You know, that's your Disney storybook movie ending. You leave on top, which is in theory what everybody wants to do. But knowing what I know about this guy and all the things I've learned about how he reacts after a national championship game, I can't see him allowing himself to walk away in a moment like that because he wants to then prove I can do it with this next team. I can find a way to get back to this mountaintop. I think that's how he's wired. I think that people thought that NIL would might be the thing that pushes him out. We certainly have seen it in the college basketball landscape. I think it played a role with Roy Williams and Jay Wright, some of these guys leaving. I think there's part of him that's motivated to prove he can find a way to make it work for himself. You know, you talked about the spread, uh, hurry up, no huddle stuff. I think he was frustrated by it and he found a way, all right, I'll do it better than any of you guys. And he did. We've seen it at the transfer portal. He said some stuff, I don't think this is good for college football, but it's going to be fine for us. Look at all the guys they landed this year. So I think he likes to be challenged by things like that. And I think he will find ways to make NIL work for him. I think I go back to what we were saying at the beginning about the ESPN stuff. That's what I always come back to when I think about this. He's obsessed with being part of a team. And so for him to ever leave, someone has to find a way to replicate that experience in a way that he feels like he's making a big impact and he's leading a team or part of a team. Could that be a business? Maybe. You know, he has a little bit of that with his car stuff. Could it be being the czar of college football? People always love to throw his name out there for that. I think he would be really good in a role like that. I don't know if that's what you know brings him away from the game. But what I always come back to is that whether he ends on a good note or a bad note to his standard, I mean, bad note, just not winning a national championship game. I don't see him as the guy who stays on too long where we feel bad for him. There's been a few coaches, Bobby Bowden, Joe Paterno, a couple others where you're like, man, just retire. It's getting a little sad. I, I don't think Saban's that way because I think he's so motivated. And I think he knows exactly what it takes to win that I feel like when he gets to a point where he's like, I don't want to go out recruiting anymore, or I can't, I can't get my body to work the way that I need it to. I think that's when he walks away. If that, if it's not able to walk away for the team, I think it's when he realizes when he wakes up one day, I just don't have the energy to do this anymore. Not the way that I know that I need to, to beat Kirby, to beat Jimbo and all those other guys. So he still has a lot of energy right now, but you know, 75, does he still have that same juice to want to do this day in and day out? That would be a good question. John Talty's book, The Leadership Secrets of Nick Saban, Comes out August 9th. Make sure to pick it up. I'm halfway through it. I keep trying to finish it. I'm going to finish it, John, at, at some point. I'm so sorry. I was hoping to finish it before I saw you SEC Media Days. It's really a, a, an incredible, easy read that I think that a lot of people are really going to enjoy, whether they're college football fans or not. I hope so. I think, I mean, the way I told you, it's, that's exactly the way I wrote it. It's meant to be easily digestible. I think for the college football sickos like you and me, there'll be enough stuff in there that's interesting and entertaining. Um, and if you just are just genuinely intrigued by Saban, it's written in a way that it'll be easy to read and understand why he does the things that he does. So I'm super excited uh, for people to read it. Hopefully uh, people who buy it make it all the way through uh, the book and, uh, you know, it'll be out soon. Thanks to John for joining us on the College Football Daily. I'm Brendan Marcello. You can follow me on Twitter at B Marcello for our producer Lance Glenn. We'll talk to you again Friday on the College Football Daily.
You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.